This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Central Station, where I talk with a diverse range of people committed to making a positive impact on education. You can subscribe to these interviews wherever you get your podcasts, and to keep in touch, you can join us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Greg Robinson is the Head of Students Senior School at Hunter Valley Grammar School in the New South Wales Hunter Valley region. He heads up a team of people including Heads of House, Heads of Year and also the Deputy Principal as they oversee and manage issues of well-being in the school. As you might imagine, this is quite a task for a school of around 1,100 students, particularly in a world that is changing rapidly with ever-increasing demands and stresses on young people. I spoke with Greg about what well-being encompasses these days and how it's changed from when we were both at school back in the 70s and 80s. Naturally, technology and social media feature in this discussion, but so do some great interventions like mindfulness, a time to set the devices aside, and the chance to be present in the moment. I visited Greg on campus, where on arrival I couldn't help noticing a sculpture of giant, brightly coloured pencils displaying the school's values for life, which seemed like a great place to start our discussion. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your, your busy welcome. day. Um, and I must say, it is a lovely experience to walk into your Parkland campus here. And since we're talking about well-being, I, th- I thought I'd pick up straight away on the, uh, the coloured pencils that you've got outside. Yeah. Because I couldn't help noticing that there are characteristics of well-being on those pencils. Mm-hmm. Can you talk me through those? Sure. First of all, it's interesting that they're pencils. They're not devices. They're not anything. They're not electronic. More modern. No, and I've they noticed they're very sh- they're very sharp pencils and they're too. They're very sharp pencils too. Um, the idea of that was to try and give people a sense when they arrive, just like you've done, um, as they drive up to the buildings, that these are the things that we pin our values on. These are the sorts of things that we, as a school, value, and we try and then base all of our um, our well-being program, everything that we do is based around those values. We refer to them in the diary for the students. Um, if students, if we do have to talk to students about something that's gone wrong, we refer to them having um, crossed over and they're not upholding this value or that value. We try and sort of build that into mm. everything that we do. So that's like a, a sign out the front that these are the things that we value most importantly. And we've added one to that, which is optimism. It's, we've seen that as something that we really value and is really important in this day and age. Mm. And we try and, and highlight that to the students, um, the importance of being optimistic, um, because there's lots to be optimistic about. Uh, and sometimes, you know, when people are down, they don't always feel optimistic. So we try and, uh, try and point them in the direction. Mm. I guess you could say that given the geopolitical and climate issues facing our world in the near-term future, optimism is you're going to need a fair bit of optimism to navigate those things Definitely, as well. Definitely, yeah, there's, we do need that. And the, and the students, sometimes students who are in a bit of a rut, they've got family issues at home, they have the perception that things aren't going well for them at school, sometimes they'll um, overlook that and they won't feel terribly optimistic. And when we talk to them, we try and say, well, what's going well in your life? what sorts of things are really positive in your life and then we try and build on that so that yes these things might not be at the moment going very well 
but you've got a whole lot of things that go mm. really are going really well and so we focus a little bit on those one of the things that i've spoken to various year groups about quite often is the use of a gratitude diary and oh, how i use i use that every day i just sit down at the end of the day I've, I've made it sort of part of my routine and i go through and i list two or three things that i'm grateful for in the day and even if you've had a really tough day for whatever reason you think at the end of the day this went well or i'm grateful for this i'm grateful for this person it actually turns your mind around and you do feel quite a lot better um, even if the day hasn't been a good one. Do the students pick up on that? As in, do, do they, not, not the fact that you feel better, but the, 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 the concept of a... Yeah, um, there's quite a few uh, now, especially in the, in the senior school. So if we look at, in particular, 10, 11, 12, um, there's quite a few who are regularly doing that now. And there's a couple of our mentors who are actually doing that with their, their students in class in their mentor class on a regular basis it's also in the, the student diary there's um, we've got a section there which enables them to jot down things that they're grateful for so let's let's just go back a few decades if I think about what life was like for me as a student and look I'm just going to disclose my age here I won't tell you exactly what my age is well I won't tell the listeners exactly what my <laughs> age is but we could probably work it out so I was in the school I was in school in the 70s and 80s right and when I was at school, I only ever thought that you were a reasonably good kid and not in trouble, or you were in the deputy's office facing a detention. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether that's just because that's a, um, uh, a student's perspective, but uh, is, is, that a, is that a fair way to describe our view of well-being back then? I think well-being, we call it well-being now, but back in those days, it was probably more something along the lines of welfare. And then it went through this stage of pastoral care. So it's gone through different names over the time that, uh, that I've been um, working in the area. Um, but I think at the time, probably yes. Um, I don't know, and from my experience as a student as well, I don't know that we did anything like the sorts of things we try and do here, for example, as, as, and have a well-being program um, and offer the students mindfulness sessions in the morning and, and you know, do all the things that we do. I don't remember that ever happening. No, no, I don't remember school. it either. No. So what sort of things did we face back then? I think a lot of the things are very similar to um, what we face now or what students face now in their lives. I think the way they manifested themselves probably was a lot different. So, for instance, bullying. I think bullying has always been there in one form or another, but in those right days... Right throughout history, I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in those days, it would have manifested itself um, more in a physical sense, mm. perhaps, with actual fights yeah. um, or intimidation. Yes. So the people gather around somebody in the playground and say we're not going to be your friends or we're going to ostracize you that sort of thing there might have been the odd you know phone call home that was a bit abusive and then they'd hang up or something like that um, whereas these days it's all pervasive because you know you have the devices and so people can do it at any stage of the day so i think the way it's it's happening is different now um, and I think issues such as, um, you know, family breakups and, and um, those sorts of things which cause a lot of trauma in, in children's lives, they obviously were happening then too. Mm. But 
Sometimes they might have been covered up more. Sometimes people would not talk about them. There wasn't the awareness of the trauma that it caused on an ongoing basis. The awareness that we have now for all of these sorts of things is far greater. And so we tend to, because we know the impact of all of these things, we tend to try and do things to alleviate that or to prevent that from occurring. Or proactively address them. You were talking just a bit mm. before about um, mindfulness sessions. Yeah. And I must say, just, just the sound of that appeals to me. It sounds I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. I've got an idea, but just the sound of it is interesting to me. Can you, can you briefly describe what a mindfulness session is and, yeah. how you, and, how you, and how you do that with the students here? Well, over the last couple of years, probably, we've um, had um, sessions with certainly our older students where we've had people come in and they've explained the why of mindfulness because a lot of people have this sense that it's all very hairy-fairy and, mm. you know, it's, it's not very... Um, a little bit based mystic. in truth and a bit mystic and all that. <laughs> um, so we, we've tried to dispel some of that by looking at some of the, the research that's been done around mindfulness. Um, and we've given them sample sessions where they've gone through a mindfulness session where we've, you know, they've sat quietly and they've gone through, now feel your toes and, and feel your feet, how do they feel. And so there's an so element of meditation in that? There's a little bit of an element of meditation. Um, but I've always wanted to go a bit further than that. So in um, the sessions that we're doing now, which we've just recently started with Year 11 as a trial, we actually meet of a morning um, and we go through a routine of, of mindfulness. So that could be focusing on the breathing. Um, the next session that we're running, apparently we're going to be looking at shells and looking at the textures and the colours of shells and sort of talking about that so that people are focusing in on the detail of something that's really fairly, you know, it's, it's not a, a special thing, a, a seashell, it's just something that we probably don't look at it very often when we're at the beach. Um, and talking about, okay, this is, this is being mindful because mm. you're actually looking at something, taking the time to look at its texture, feel it, smell it, um, and describe it. And, and I so, suppose that would make you very present in the moment too. And that's the whole aim. It's being present in the moment. The, the students, um, after one of the sessions, a number of them were going off to a debate that they were actually quite worried about. And they said the difference it made to them, to they did the session where it, they focused on the breathing um, and they were very still and, uh, and just focused on their body at, the, at that time. The difference that that made to them, they said, was incredible. The, the anxiety dissipated and they felt really focused and they were ready to, to go into the debate. I suppose the flip side of that is that uh, these days, and I don't mean to uh, uh, play this down in any way, but I suppose the, the flip of it is that uh, a student might then think, oh great, there's my shell, I'll pull out my smartphone and I'll take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. But you're actually asking them to set that aside for a moment and to be entirely in the moment. That's right, no devices at all. Yeah, and so the flow and effects are, have been quite significant. Yeah, they have been, uh, yeah. Well, listen, let's talk about that because you can't really have a conversation about well-being in, the, in this age, I suppose, without thinking about computers and so forth. And if I, again, if I, if I think back, uh, it was around about 1999, 2000, when I first saw, uh, I guess, what you would call widespread implementation of computers in schools. Mm -hmm. And that was the yeah. first year, for example, when I was in the classroom that I had a, te uh, a, a computer on my desk mm -hmm. for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, previously, it was, oh, there are, there are five computers in a room for That's 20 right. staff or yep. maybe even one, or yep. depending on your circumstances. But now they were, they were everywhere. Mm. And 
I guess, and it was a little bit later for students, I suppose, mm. um, a little bit slower for students, but I suppose that was probably the beginning of one of the first major shifts. And, and did that have an immediate impact on how we look at wellbeing, or was there a little bit of a delay there? Were we not perhaps not quite sure what was what was to come? I think it did take us a while to catch up. I think everything, uh, a lot of things with technology, there's always a lag time in a lot of other areas of life in catching up with the technology. And I think this is no exception. I think um, nobody at that time would have really foreseen the impact of, especially the smartphone, and that's become so widely available, mm. um, has had on um, students and their well-being. Because we talk about it as being ubiquitous and if you went out into the playground you would you know find that probably 99.9 percent .9 of the students have access to a smartphone most of the time mm. and the fact that the smartphone can then connect to the internet so easily and, and all those things that it can do yes it's a marvelous tool to have but it also brings with it the well, we, we talked about bullying before and i sort of mentioned that the bullying now is available if you like 24 7 because you've got a device um, that in a sense protects the bullier in mm. a way because they don't have to do it face to face yeah they can reach a wide audience if they want to they can post all sorts of things uh, out there on the on the web um, about a certain person if they so wish and they want to really go for them and so it, it never stops. And we, we know the tragic consequences of mm. that, obviously, that have happened. And I guess it's much harder these days <clears throat> as well because, you know, you mentioned before that there might, uh, years ago, there might have been a phone call mm. where you say a few nasty things and mm. then quickly hang up. Mm. But thinking back, just as you were explaining that, I thought, yeah, that would mean that the bully would have to go to the parent's phone or the, ho the phone in the house, which yeah. was more than likely near a parent or in a yeah. centrally located place, it would have to ring in another house mm. where most other people would hear it mm -hmm. because you wouldn't have your telephone on silent. No. So that was kind of defeats the purpose back yeah, then. That back then, yeah. But now uh, that's been taken away. Mm. And so, I mean, I guess these are fairly obvious things, but the ramifications on well-being are quite significant because mm -hmm. now it's almost like, um, uh, you know, a, a hyper-awareness of the capability to do all these things. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, I would imagine that the, the effects are that much greater. Yes. Fast forwarding then a few years to 2007, let's say, when the iPhone was introduced. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's say 2007 was probably, let's call that the, the, the next major shift in smartphones. Mm. Um, did you see, was, was there a change from, from, say, the turn of the century over the next 10 years, and then did we see it, like, step up a gear with yeah, the smartphone? I, th I think we did. It was really the smartphone has made the biggest difference because it is so user-friendly. It's built to be used for a whole range of purposes now, especially with all the apps that are available, um, whereas prior to that, probably, the phones were used more for their original purpose, I suppose. What, you mean like making a telephone making call? Making a telephone call or at least sending a text <laughs> message um, and taking photos because the cameras came um, with them fairly quickly. But the smartphone takes it to a whole new level. And that's why, you know, and it's always been a, a bit of a lag um, behind that for schools to catch up with that and then know what the potential ramifications are of these phones, not just from students accessing a whole range of things in the playground, which they can on these phones, 
but also the ramifications from their access to Instagram, other social media platforms, mm. which allow them to reach a wide audience at the click of a button and do lots of good things, but also do potentially some nasty things as well. Look, some people listening to this might think, well, okay, that's, that's fairly old news. We've known that for a while now, but I guess that's the precursor to asking the, I think the, the deeper question. And that is, as these times change and as we're faced with these new uh, challenges, do the underlying aspects of well-being change? As in, can we take what you might call, for want of a better expression, long-held or traditional views of well-being, maybe uh, you know what, what goes on in the family or uh, how we think of an individual. Can we, can we think of those things now in the same way that we did or, or do those things have to change as well? We've, in practice, those things really have to change because what we've found that we've had to do more and more is I mean, you can take the prohibition approach and, and just say no, no smartphones, no nothing, and go cold turkey on all that sort of mm. thing, which some schools have tried to do. Or you can come to the, uh, from the approach of trying to educate. And that's what we've tried to do here, like lots of other schools have. Um, so you try to educate the student in the responsible use of the phone. And that means we have to spend a lot of time, obviously, doing mm. that. So right from the junior school, right the way through um, you've got some sort of program in place to teach them etiquette to teach them okay this is the right thing to do these are the sorts of things that can happen to you what would you do if this happened to you what effect does it have if you do this that sort of thing so do you get any backlash like do, uh, what i mean by, by that is do this do the students sit there or do you get the impression that the students are thinking oh what would you know you're so much older than me and i'm so hip i'm into the technology mm-hmm. look yeah. sorry you can't tell me anything yeah uh, that's that's true um, <laughs> that happens i'm sure a lot of people don't think that way but there would be a, a percentage that do and that's why when we choose people to come in and talk to the students we try and get them closer to their particular age Hmm. so that they relate better to that person. It's, as you say, it's no good having an old fogey like me up there sort of talking <laughs> about this sort of thing when they, they write me off. Um, it's better to have, if somebody there is young who's, who's into the, the use of social media like they are, then it's always more meaningful or even better still, um, and we've had this a few times, is to involve older students right so if there's an issue that's occurred amongst say year eight students we've involved year 12 students in the solution to that and and they've actually spoken to them because they've been there done that not all that long ago um, and there's more of a direct relationship and and that's been received well yeah it has it's a bit like you know peer mediation i suppose Mm. of sorts but it has been received really well let's talk briefly then about uh punishment Um, because I guess the, the implication is that if there's been something bad that's happened or if, something, if something's gone wrong, there needs to be a consequence. Mm-hmm. Do we still talk about detention? We do. Um, and there's a lot of debate out there about... I'm sure there is. ...the effectiveness of detention or not. And look, we still run detentions. Um, do I believe they're really effective? Not necessarily. No, I don't. I think um, they're of limited use. But when you look at things um, from a school's perspective, there are few options left to us to be able to send a clear message to a student. And so if, if depriving them of some time in the playground 
is saying to them, look, you've crossed a line and because you've crossed the line, you don't get to mix with your mm. friends at lunchtime or yeah. whatever. A lot of the time that message is very clear to them, the link is clear and they get it. Right. And so it's still effective in some circumstances. But you're right, in, in lots of circumstances, detentions don't really serve the purpose. I mean, I can remember, you know, back when I was at school, you know, you were sitting there writing lines. You know, and that happened, and you, you, I must not, or you know, I should, or whatever, fifty times. I'm just or immediately thinking times. of Bart Simpson. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I mean, that <coughs> happened back then, but you know, we we see that that's just silly. Yeah, it just doesn't achieve anything. Now you say you run detentions, but do you still call them detentions. Yes. Okay, so some schools. Uh, for example, might call them something like a, a reflection or a reflective yep. learning time. Have you That's considered true. changing the narrative? We have, and one of the things with our with our little look and uh, into mindfulness is, uh, I know that there are a couple of schools around who are doing meditation or mindfulness with their students in that detention time. Okay. So they actually teach them the skill of mindfulness um, in that time, and then have them practice that. Um, now that is really good if you have students who are highly anxious or who are acting out because they're angry, mm. frustrated, whatever. Teaching them the skill of mindfulness actually serves two purposes. It, it calms them down. It's a, a very good use of that time because mindfulness is a skill that they can then employ later on. And so mm. when they're taught that skill, they can then use it in circumstances where perhaps they, are, they feel themselves getting anxious, frustrated, angry. Um, so that's something that we'd look at as well, but we, ha we haven't started that yet. But that certainly ties into this whole um, notion of, of mindfulness and how it can be really useful in a school context as well. Yeah, so instead of saying to someone, you're on detention, you can say, we'd like to invite you to a mindfulness session. Yes, that's right. Sounds so, better, doesn't it? It does. Sounds really so good. So instead of report for detention, it's an invitation to mindfulness. Yes, that's right. What, mm -hmm. you're inviting me to something? Well, yeah, we thought you might find it useful. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, we could phrase it like that, certainly. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> so look, um, what are the most challenging issues that you see these days? What are the, like, if I can put it in, say, uh, some, some modern language, what's trending at the moment? Mm, what's trending? trending um, yeah that's an interesting one certainly up the top of the list are issues related to social media and the upset that that causes students um, so we've dealt with some stuff recently that involves um, some very unpleasant language on social media mm -hmm. about somebody else directed to somebody else um, so yeah social media would be up there and we find that 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 comes, even if it happening, it's happening in times outside of school, which nearly always it is, it's always on the weekend or something like that, it comes into the school with the students and that's where it impacts on their, their well-being because they don't feel comfortable because the person who perhaps has sent those messages or whatever mm. is in the school with them, perhaps yeah. in their same year. Mm. So it and causes, kind of invisible as well in that yeah, sense. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And causes that sort of level of anxiety. And so that impacts then on their ability to actually function properly. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff around that. We're finding that um, often uh, students don't feel um, that they can talk about it with somebody at school, like they can bring it to an adult. 
because they have the perception that it gets worse if you mm. bring it to an adult. Is that an anxiety thing? Yeah, it's a bit of an anxiety thing, but it's a, a very commonly held view that, oh no, we would never talk about it with a teacher or a mentor or whatever, um, because it just makes it worse. So how do you how do you begin to approach that? I mean, if if because I'm just thinking if the if the student is holding that in and saying and thinking to themselves, I'm not sure I can approach someone mm -hmm. yet. People who are involved in well-being know that this kind of thing happens, mm. and you've got this gap in the middle. You do. How, how do you bridge Often that gap? Often that's bridged by a friend. So a friend who can see the situation escalating um, will come to us um, on the promise of anonymity mm. and will talk to us about their concerns. And so we will then go to the student and say, look, we've had some of your friends express this concern about what's happening. Does that break the ice a little bit? Or Often let it does. Off, let off some Gradually it does, yeah. And um, even if we suggest seeing one of our psychologists, um, who then have that as a confidential session, that then helps start the ball rolling. And what we find then is that um, they can explain to them along with us that yes, it might get worse for a little while, but ultimately that will turn around and we can make it better because we can work with both of you to try and solve the issues. So yes, there might be a, a bit of truth to the fact that it gets worse because it might get worse for mm. a little while depending on the reaction of whoever's involved. But then ultimately what happens is we can usually sort it out. Yeah. I guess there must be a challenge for parents as well because that, that gap might exist for parents. It as does, in the parents very might, much. The parents might suspect that there's something wrong but mm -hmm. not know how to approach it. The child yeah. might be a little bit hesitant to talk. Yep. Maybe we'll talk to the school, no, please don't do that. Yes. And then you've got this kind of three-way stalemate. So you do. What's the best thing that parents can do? I mean, I would expect the answer to be something like, well, get in touch, but, but again, that might, be, that might be really difficult. So how would you go about approaching that? Um, often the parents have no idea either. Um, we've had several cases here where we've discovered almost by accident that there's been this long-going um, thing happening between a few students. Um, and the parents have had no idea whatsoever. So when we call them and say, listen, we've had this discussion with your son or daughter because this has mm. been happening, they've had no idea. And so they've been really grateful for the intervention and then they come on board. Um, it's hard. A lot of students have very open relationships with their parents and so they will talk to the parents. And most times when that happens, the parents get in touch with us too because they know the student spends a vast amount of their time here at school mm. and it's obviously having an impact so they might do it at first without the students um, say so um, because of, out of concern and they've said look we need to keep this confidential for the moment but ultimately it sort of all starts to to fall into place and we can then talk as a as a, a three-way parent student school sort of situation so that we can make it better. So if there's a parent listening to this and, and they might be in a situation or they might be uh, suspecting a situation and they're sitting there thinking, should I, shouldn't I, should mm -hmm. I, shouldn't I, as in call the school, mm -hmm. which side should they tip towards? What do you think? I'd say they should. Um, students... Um, as in call the school? Should as, call, as in, call the school. As in make a talk, call and say... Talk to somebody at the school who can listen and then we can formulate, okay, what's the best way to, to handle this? Bearing in mind the sensitivities involved, depending on what the issue is, um, I would always suggest, yes, that they should contact the school. 
Greg, it sounds like you're doing very good, but also very challenging work here. Challenging is right, but that's, yeah, life is challenging. Well, it's been great to speak with you this morning and thank you again so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. A pleasure. You've been listening to an episode of Central Station. For more information about our guests and all our other interviews, head on over to central.com.au slash podcast. And remember, you can subscribe to these interviews completely for free wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.